this program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website cityofmidlandmi.gov slash mctv. The following presentation of the Midland City Planning Commission will begin in a moment. The Midland City Planning Commission is responsible for overseeing the city's master plan, conducting public hearings, and offering recommendations to the City Council on a wide range of local land use issues. The Planning Commission consists of nine Midland residents who are appointed by the City Council. <coughs> planning Commission meets two Tuesdays per month at 7 p.m. in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to this regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission taking place on Tuesday, January 9th. This meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will you please call roll? Griffiths? Here. Broderick? Here. Powell? Here. Collinger? Here. Thomas? Craig? Here. Banasic? McCoy? Here. Decro? Here. Mr. Chair, you have a quorum. First item on our agenda is approval of the minutes. We have one item, one set of minutes to approve this evening. It goes from our regular meeting back on December 12th. Any comments or revisions? I move that we approve the December 12th, 2023 minutes. I'll second. Motion Commissioner Craig and a second from Commissioner Broderick to approve the minutes from our regular meeting on December 12th. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. <coughs> Minutes are approved. Next item on our agenda is public hearings. Give two this evening. Uh, a quick reminder of our process. We'll begin with a staff presentation and overview. Then we'll present the petitioner, uh, uh, invite the petitioner to present. We'll then invite public comments and questions Then provide the petitioner the opportunity for final rebuttal and comments and then close the public hearing and decision by the Planning Commission. So our first public hearing this evening is on zoning petition number 656. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Zoning petition 656 is initiated by the City of Midland. This is for property located at 6400 North Saginaw Road. Property owner is Tracy Anderson, and this property is three quarters of an acre in size. Property's current zoning is community services commercial under the Homer Township Zoning Ordinance. Staff's recommended zoning for this property is RE4, single family and two family residential. 
Subject property is located on the north side of North Saginaw Road. This is just to the south and east of Stark Road in the northwest part of the city of Midland. Uh, the property is located on the, the boundaries of the city. Um, as explained in the staff report, the property was annexed into the city of Midland from Humber Township in 2023. Um, as you know, under the city zoning ordinance, we do need to apply zoning within two years of annexation. Um, this property, we'll zoom in a little bit closer, you can see um, contains an existing 1,300 square foot single family dwelling. The property owner and occupant of the property is Ms. Anderson. Um, we've been working with her on her annexation, which is primarily driven by a desire to provide a connection to the city water system um, over the course of last year. And we've worked with her on tonight's zoning petition in terms of the recommended zoning package, uh, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Future land use in the immediate vicinity is primarily high density residential along North Saginaw Road around this property and to the south and southeast. Um, as you move to the north and west, closer to Stark Road, the future land use is primarily commercial. Zoning, uh, as, as stated, the subject property is currently zoned under the Homer Township zoning code in a commercial district that is close to and akin to our regional commercial district. Properties uh, to the uh, east and west of the sector property along North Saginaw Road are also zoned regional commercial. Uh, as we move further to the north, um, the Planning Commission will recall that there was a zoning petition initiated by that property owner following an annexation last year, uh, which applied regional, the regional commercial to the east and west, the RA4 to the north, and the RA1 to the uh, north uh, and northeast of the subject property. Other properties located opposite Saginaw Road are primarily located in Homer Township and have Homer Township zoning. The RA4 single family and two family residential district is one of four RA districts under the City of Midland zoning ordinance. Those districts differ primarily in terms of the minimum lot area density and building placement requirements of setbacks that are required under those districts with RA1 having the largest uh, requirements in terms of lot area and building placement uh, setbacks. RA4 having the, the least restrictive of those requirements. The RA4 district is also the only one of the four that permits two family dwellings. So that's an important distinction here um, as opposed to RA1, two and three, which do not. Um, these districts also allow a variety of other uses that are consistent with residential neighborhoods. And we'll kind of go through that sample list here. Uh, single family dwellings, two family dwellings being obvious given the name of the district. Um, these districts also allow public or semi-public cultural facilities and things like fire stations, schools, and parks, which of course you'll find in nearly every uh, Midland neighborhood at the fire stations. Fire department would like to, but the parks and schools certainly. Going through the review criteria, is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning classification RA4, single-family, two-family residential, is consistent with this property's future land use designation, which is high-density residential. Two, will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? And staff's answer is yes. This rezoning will allow the property to be used in a manner that's consistent with that intent and purpose. Criteria three, have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justify the amendment? Staff's answer is yes. As mentioned, the property was annexed into the city in 2023 and therefore requires the assignment of a city zoning district. Four, will the amendment merely grant special privileges? Staff's answer is no. The zoning is consistent with the zoning of surrounding properties. Five, will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? Staff's answer is no. 
Six, will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? Staff's answer again is no. The proposed amendment's not grounds for an inappropriate precedent as this proposal is aligned with the city's master plan. Seven, is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification of, of surrounding land? Staff's answer is yes. Um, as noted on the map, immediately to the north of the subject property, we do have an RA4 designation, uh, which is the closest residential designation under the city's zoning ordinance to the subject property. Eight is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of surrounding land in the city's master plan. Again, staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning is consistent with future land use designations, uh, which are primarily high density residential as you uh, get uh, travel up North Saginaw Road towards Stark Road. As you get past this property, we switch to a commercial commercial future land use designation. Nine, can all requirements of the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the separate parcel? And staff's answer is yes. Again, this is a three quarter of an acre size lot, um, fairly uh, typical rectangular in shape and size, um, and the existing dwelling is consistent with the requirements of the district. And 10, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends of land development in the general vicinity? Staff's answer is yes. This is a fairly mixed use area in terms of existing and future conceived development. Um, the proposed zoning of RA4 is consistent with zoning to the north and would obviously um, allow for the continued use of the existing single family dwelling on the site, as well as permit development that would be consistent with surrounding proposed developments in this area. We did receive one public comment on this uh, petition, which was included in your packet. Staff is recommending approval based on the following. The proposed zoning is consistent with the city's future land use map. The proposed zoning will facilitate development that's consistent with the pattern and use of development in the general vicinity. And assigning city zoning is necessary given that the property was annexed from Homer Township in 2023. With the first step in this process with the public hearing this evening, uh, the Planning Commission will make a recommendation to City Council, which will be received at their meeting on the 22nd of January. And then they'll have a public hearing and consider adoption of this petition at their meeting on February the 19th. I'd welcome questions from the Planning Commission, Mr. Chair. Questions, Commissioners? Thank you, Jacob. All right, I think we're all set. Thank you. We'll now invite public comments. Public comments are questions related to zoning petition number 656. Any public comments or questions? Uh, hearing none, we'll move to um, any final comments from the city. None, unless there's any questions from the Planning Commission, sir. Any last questions? Yeah, go ahead, Leonard. Is the public comment the handwritten note? Yes. Okay. And this was initiated by the city, correct? Yes, in uh, collaboration with the property owner upon her the completion of her annexation process. Okay, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and uh, uh, go into deliberation and decision by the Planning Commission. Any strong objections, commissioners? Seems pretty straightforward. Okay. <clears throat> I'll make a motion that we appro recommend approval of zoning petition number 656 to City Council. I'll second. We have a motion from Commissioner Cloinger and a second from Commissioner McCoy to recommend approval Recommended City Council approval of zoning petition number 656. Will you please call roll? Griffiths? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Powell? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. Craig? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Decro? Yes. That passes 7 to 0. Okay. 
That concludes our first public hearing this evening. The next public hearing on our agenda is zoning <clears throat> petition number 657. All right. Zoning petition number 657 is for 4500 East Ashman. Uh, the applicant and the property owner is the Humane Society of Midland County. Like I said, the location is 4500 East Ashman, and the subject property is approximately 9.77 acres. Uh, the existing zoning for the property is LCMR, or Limited Commercial Manufacturing and Research, and the proposed zoning is for Industrial A. So this is the um, subject property. It's located south of East Ashman, um, and then to the east of US 10. Um, as you can see, there's um, a large amount of uh, vacant farmland in the area. And then the, it's kind of hard to read that road there. I think it's, is that uh, Rockwell or? Um, Rockwell being the um, easternmost limits of the city. Um, so just to the north, we can kind of see a, a bit of the sanitary landfill, uh, the municipal landfill there, um, and then the uh, Humane Society actually has uh, their current operations just north of there as well. Um, there's a recycling center kind of further to the west on East Ashman Street, um, same, same side as US 10. Zoom into the property. Um, it is serviced by one single driveway um, off on kind of the eastern side of the property. Uh, the site most recently contained a approximately 72,000 square foot um, building known as Dow Chemical Company building uh, 9008. Um, and that uh, once housed the former Mid-Michigan Innovation Center um, or Midland Tomorrow. It has since been demolished. Uh, in, in 2017, it was demolished. Um, and that uh, effectively got rid of the existing building as well as uh, a bit of parking lot that was located adjacent to the, to the building. Um, we will see that uh, there is some existing or, uh, parking still on the site, uh, but it's mostly vacant. Um, there's three uh, accessory storage buildings kind of at the south portion of the property, um, like I said, with that asphalt parking lot. Uh, the zoning for the pr property um, is, or excuse me, this is the future land use for the uh, subject property, is light industrial. Um, we can see some heavy industrial to the north. Um, as Most of the property around the subject property is light industrial. That's that lighter shade of, of uh, purple. Uh, current zoning for the property, like I said, is LCMR. Um, and that is consistent with the other properties south of East Ashman Street, um, as well as to the west of US 10 there. So again, that lighter purple would be the LCMR. And then um, kind of up uh, to the south, uh, there's a bit of uh, light industrial, or industrial A zoning, um, as well as ag, agricultural zoning um, to the north. Um, okay, In industrial A is intended for less intensive industrial operations um, with limited external offsite impacts. Um, LCMR zoning district is uh, no external offsite impacts. So um, this industrial A allows for manufacturing, processing, fabricating, and similar activities. Um, it also permits related accessory uses 
like research and design related to industrial operations. Um, industrial B would be the more intensive industrial operations, so those we would expect to have um, and, and create off-site external impacts. Um, so that's kind of the tier of the sort of industrial districts. Uh, sample permitted uses, industrial A, there's kind of a, a lot um, of different uses within the zoning ordinance, a few of them being warehousing, uh, public utility facilities, recycling centers, research and testing laboratories, animal shelters, um, and restaurants. Okay, looking at the review criteria, um, number one is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan. Um, yes, the proposed industrial A zoning district does align with the long-term vision outlined in the future land use plan for light industrial use. Uh, the light industrial future land use category encourages low intensity industrial uses. Um, and again, that has that less uh, impact on surrounding uses um, that uh, in heavy industrial would have, you know, obviously those more um, impacts. Uh, will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? Yes, uh, industrial A zoning would facilitate development that is consistent with the surrounding properties um, and consistent with the objectives and policies of master plan. Have conditions changed since, since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justifies the amendment? Uh, the Dow Chemical Company, building 9008, was demolished in 2017, uh, and it has created a vacancy on the subject property that may now uh, have an opportunity to be redeveloped. Um, the Industrial A Zoning District does offer a wider range of permitted uses um, while still keeping with the light industrial future land use that was adopted in 2007. Uh, no, the, the proposed zoning will not uh, merely grant special privileges. Um, it is consistent with the future land use of surrounding properties. Um, so all of the adjacent uh, properties south of East Ashman Street are, um, do contain that light industrial future land use. Will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? Uh, no. Will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? No, the proposed amendment is not grounds for inappropriate precedent, as a proposal, again, is aligned with the city's master plan. Um, is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification of surrounding land? Uh, yes and no. Uh, adjacent lands are located in the agricultural uh, to the to the north, and then LCMR um, to the to the south, east, and west. Um, the existing uses located at all of these properties are in line with the uses permitted in the industrial A zoning district. Is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land in the city master plan? So yes, um, again, both the subject property and every property in, or all, all the property in every direction um, share a future land use designation of light industrial. Uh, could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcel? Yes, uh, the property does uh, meet or exceed the dimensional requirements of the industrial A zoning district. Uh, number 10, is the proposed zoning consistent with trends in land development in the general vicinity of the property? Yes, development along East Ashman Street uh, does include a small variety of uses that are permitted, again, in the industrial A zoning district. This is animal shelter um, at the existing Humane Society property um, to the north, recycling center, um, just 
this further west um, along East Ashman Street, approximately 800 feet, um, warehousing and a sanitary landfill all within the area. Staff recommends approval based on the following. The proposed zoning is consistent with the city's future land use map. Uh, it's also consistent with the, uh, or excuse me, the, the proposed zoning does support the goals of the city's master plan. Uh, and then the proposed zoning will facilitate industrial development that is compatible in the area. We have received no public comments. And looking at the process, uh, tonight is the public hearing, and it will go on to scheduled public hearing, possibly at City Council as early as January 22nd um, for consideration as early as February 19th. And with that, I'll entertain any questions. Thank you. Questions, Commissioners? <clears throat> I did have a question. You mentioned <clears throat> that um, in one of the slides where the main society um, would fall into this area. Are there other zoning that would allow uh, for this, or is it only in the industrial A? There are only, <clears throat> excuse me, two districts within the city that permit the use agricultural and industrial A. Couple of questions myself. Um, the um, so building off of what Commissioner Decro said, because um, I know you listed some possible uses within Industrial A, and I believe those uses are usually listed in the ordinance as an example. Is that correct? Y yes, that's correct. Okay, because um, I assumed you wouldn't put it up, put those up there unless those were examples of permitted uses. So I had a similar question around um, where else, if anywhere else, these would be. An animal shelter would be a permitted use. Um, I think the other question I have is regarding is if the proposed zoning is consistent with the zoning classification of surrounding land. I know you staff's consideration of this is that it's a yes and no answer. Um, so you said staff said the existing uses are located at these properties are in line with the uses permitted in the proposed industrial A zoning district. Um, is that simply because the uses in the LCMR right now are, are permitted uses within industrial A as well. And the key being is that industrial A would allow more intense uses beyond what's allowed in LCMR, correct? That's all correct, yeah. So the so the industrial A zoning does allow for a wider range of uses than the LCMR. Um, all of the uses currently in those uh, properties that are um, not vacant um, are permitted within the industrial A district, but it would, yes, you are correct, it would allow for a more intensive we typically see LCMR zoning um, in, well, I guess, everywhere that it's zoned. But um, LCMR zoning kind of has more of a campus feel. So yeah. um, kind of where the Dow headquarters is um, near the Clinton High, um, right. you'll, you'll see kind of like those less, less intensive uh, zoning districts. And then um, kind of further out, um, you you start to see industrial A or industrial B those districts that do allow for external off-site impacts. Um, Industrial B being the more um, right. more impactful one, um, whereas LCMR does not allow for any off-site in, um, external impacts. Okay, because I don't disagree with the assessment. It, it, to me, the, I just want to be clear on the proposed use that's in front of us is in line with what's in LCMR, but there's also the possibility that, um, you know, if this thing never follows through and this thing is now 
classified as industrial A, there could potentially be more intense uses than are already out there. And I don't think those intensive, more intense uses would be incompatible in the future. I just wanted to be more clear about why, uh, the reasoning behind the yes and no answer. Okay, any other questions? All right, thank you. We'll now invite public comments. Just need a name and address to get started, please. Hi, I'm Jesse Fletcher. I'm the executive director with the Humane Society of Midland County. And do you need my home address or the address of the Humane Society? The Humane Society's address will be 4371 suffice. East Ashman, uh, Midland 48642. Thank you. Um, I guess I'm here to basically ask for the uh, submission of rezoning for us to have uh, future planning and future growth. That's Any questions, commissioners? All right, thank you very much. Thank you. And that was my mistake. That was the petitioner presentation. We'll now invite public comments and uh, or questions. Public comments or questions? Does the petitioner have any final comments? Okay, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and go into deliberation and decision by the Planning Commission. It, it seems like a compatible use. I mean, um, I had a little bit of the same kind of clarification that you did, uh, Mr. Chair, just for whatever reason, if it didn't go through, you know, where we are permitting a higher use in the area. Um, but I think, I mean, the current use of that is across the street. Right. So I think it's compatible. I think it helps to redevelop that area. I drive by that area quite often and I think it would be nice to see more of a development there, but that was my concern of should construction or funding or something fall through, we're now permitting something that could necessarily not be compatible. Commissioner Decker, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think the main concern I was thinking about was it, it, it has um, potential off-site impact for that zoning. Um, so if there was something else there, would that you know, make sense for what's around it? I think it does, especially in that area. Um, so I think I had my questions answered and um, that mainly it was that it, there wasn't other zoning that would make more sense for this because at initial, I, I didn't necessarily know how it fit in there, but I think I'm clear now. Um, Roderick, any concerns? No concerns. The only other thing I was thinking was if, um, you know, a lot of the questions around what the perm what what other zoning would allow the use for what they're potentially intending and I can't think of a better spot in Midland City that would accommodate um, their intended use as well. So I see nothing, no objections. Commissioner Powell? Um, no, it looks to be in line with the future lane use for the whole area with the LCMR and uh, Industrial A. So no concerns. Commissioner Craig, any comments? No, no objections. Commissioner McCoy? Um, if I'm looking at the future land use map correctly, I think this brings it closer in line to the future planning for um, that area. So it makes sense to me. Okay. I'm looking for a motion. Thank you for your comments. 
I motion to recommend to approval to city council. We have a motion and a second. I'll second. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Powell and a second from Commissioner McCoy to recommend to city council approval of zoning petition number 657. Will you please call roll? Griffiths? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Powell? Yes. Collinger? Yes. Craig? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Decker? Yes. Passes 7 to 0. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Next day is with City Council on January 22nd. That concludes our public hearings this evening. We'll move to old business. We have one item underneath old business this evening, and that is site plan number 427. All right, uh, site plan number 427 is for a Dollar Tree located at 3410 Isabella Street. The applicant is Wolgas Acquisition Corporation. Um, the zoning for the property is NC Neighborhood Commercial. And again, the proposal is for a 9,828-square-foot uh, dollar tree. This is the subject property located at the northeast corner of Isabella Street and Vance Road. Uh, it is the former location, uh, most recently, of Herd Lowe's uh, Pizzeria that was um, demolished in 2018 here, um, and uh, is currently vacant um, with, uh, you know, with the exception of some asphalt parking and natural vegetation. Zoning um, is neighborhood commercial. There's also neighborhood commercial to the east along M20, um, RA1 single family zoning uh, to the, the east as well. To the north there is RA2 single family zoning and then to the south um, west, uh, south and west is RC uh, regional commercial zoning. This is kind of small on the screen, but um, we have received, staff have, uh, has received updated uh, site plans addressing a number of the issues previously identified. Um, these include a pedestrian connection, uh, and this additional pedestrian connection um, is along Vance Road. I'll try and use my little pointer. Um, so this is the additional pedestrian connection. Um, it actually connects to the uh, sidewalk system along, or sidewalk system along Vance Road to the to the entrance of the building um, and then through the through the parking lot and we have also uh, received some clarification um, around the opaque fencing um, around the HVAC equipment um, so you can see that on the site plan um, we did receive um, confirmation of the existing driveway spacing as well um, so that is on there um, lot combination has been completed, so this is now just 3410 Isabella Street um, versus 3410 and former 3420. Um, a bike rack has also been added. Um, you can see that that's kind of at the north uh, northwest corner of the proposed building near the HVAC equipment, um, just south of the dumpster enclosure there. Um, let's see. The landscaping plan, uh, we did receive an updated landscaping plan. Um, it shows some additional landscaping provided in these um, interior um, parking lot, not, not quite islands uh, per se, but uh, some of that internal uh, parking lot landscaping. We have also received building elevations, um, which are required. 
Um, I will clarify with the um, with regard to the fencing, the opaque fencing around the HVAC equipment. Um, the there's no other proposed fencing uh, for the for the property. So um, it was unclear uh, during the last kind of review of the site plan materials that they were maybe proposing a new fence um, around the north and kind of the east property lines. They are keeping the existing fencing that is up there now. Um, they have just provided the required landscaping screening, um, which is all compliant. They don't need a fence. Um, and I think we heard a public comment um, the last meeting that uh, some of the neighbors maybe didn't want to see new fencing. Um, at any rate, um, no additional fencing is proposed for the site. Um, and it is compliant uh, with our standards. Uh, so I'll just go through the update items again. Like I said, pedestrian connection from Vance Road, um, clarification around the fencing. Oh, um, additional hydrants have been placed near the north um, driveway and south driveway, uh, compliant with the fire code. Um, lot combination has been completed with the city assessing department. Bike rack has been added. Uh, driveway spacing standards have been shown uh, and are compliant with city's uh, spacing standards. Like I said, the landscaping plan has been revised to include those additional internal parking lot plantings. Um, and then with the parking as well, um, there was an inclusion of the double striping as well as some detail regarding ADA specifications uh, that was noted by the building department. So those have also been updated. Um, and then building elevations have been provided. So the uh, one outstanding item that we have is a deferred parking agreement. Um, so staff does recommend approval of the proposed eight-space parking deferment um, as shown on the site plan. Um, if we go back to the site plan, it's kind of to the, um, the east here, those eight spaces. So um, we just need to see the deferred parking agreement. And, uh, the applicant is working on that currently. So with that, uh, staff does recommend approval of site plan number 427 with the following contingencies. Stormwater management permit, a final uh, soil erosion sedimentation control permit, a deferred parking agreement uh, to the satisfaction of the city attorney, and then uh, final permitting of signage is required through the uh, building department. So December 12th, uh, the Planning Commission held a public hearing. Um, and tonight, uh, we expect the Planning Commission to uh, deliberate, make a decision. With that, uh, I'll entertain any questions. Thank you. Questions, commissioners? Well, the question is on that deferred uh, parking permit. And is that pretty straightforward? I guess I haven't dealt with one of those before. I'm assuming it is because staff recommends. But no. Yeah, we don't see it often, um, deferred parking. But uh, they're with, with the provisions within our zoning ordinance um, and, and reviewing the site plan as a whole, um, it is compliant. Um, one thing to know is uh, with deferred parking, it does require that the ADA uh, spaces accommodate the, the deferred parking or the proposed deferred parking. Um, in this case, it does. So if they um, are um, needing to actually continue and build that, that parking, um, the rest of the site plan is compliant with the deferred parking. But yes, it's, it's a pretty straightforward process administratively. Going forward with deferred parking, how does that work? It gets executed, and then what is the, the I guess, the 
enforcement action on that? I guess I don't know if that's the right word. How does sure. that get followed through? There we go. Yeah. Um, so, so partly, uh, building department, I think, kind of acts um, as um, kind of the noticing entity. <clears throat> but uh, the, the planning commission could uh, require that the um, the property owner or the development does um, include more parking if it's noticed that the uh, development is lacking parking. So. It's just a way of, um, you know, planning commission could come back and say, you know, we've, we've noticed that this site has been built and it's, uh, you know, there's people parking on the grass. There needs to be more parking. Um, then there's some, some time frames. I believe it's six months. Within six months, um, the planning commission can. And they've offered to make that agreement, and we can see that on the plan. They just haven't actually papered that over, for lack of a better term, correct? The agreement itself? Right. Correct. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. Um, it, I guess where I'm hung up is, is the assessment procedure. I, is there a standard for that, or in, if on one of us just keep driving by and go, oh, they have more parking, or they don't have more parking? How would yeah. that, that get brought back to us if it determined that they need more, they need that extra parking? Sure. Um, so I I don't know if Jacob's looking at the language in the zoning ordinance. It, it's pretty. Um, I don't want to say it's vague, but it's. Uh, There isn't quite a. Um, the, the building department is the, would be responsible for observing the parking on the site for the first six months. They would report to the planning commission if there's an issue, and the planning commission could then compel the property owner to construct the extra parking. That would be articulated under the agreement. So by default, it's assumed that it's compliant and good unless the building department also yeah, okay. but just keep in mind that the building department we would have six individuals who are driving all over Midland every yes. single day. So I just want to make this sure one is keeping notice. Because I don't think it's something that I've ever heard of before. So yep, we've done we um, a site plan was approved last year uh, with a parking deferment, but the project didn't go forward, so we didn't actually execute the agreement. And I would say not having an agreement executed on the deferred parking at this stage is not unusual. It would be rather unusual to have an agreement ratified before the site plan's approved. So as a contingency item, this is a, about the most typical type of contingency that you would see. Okay. <clears throat> Other questions? Um, just to clarify, I took them all off as you were reading them, but all of the contingency items from our packet have been met except for the parking agreement. That's correct? Correct. And the applicant didn't um, include any additional screening from a couple of people that had made comment before, correct? No. Um, so, so the site plan, um, as proposed and as originally proposed, is compliant right. um, with all screening requirements, um, save that that fence. I mean, if uh, they. They are not required to have a fence um, or any additional um, screening as as the site plan proposed does meet all those requirements. Um, and they've not provided anything extra since the uh, previous uh, version of the site plan. That was just one of the clarifications I had too, is that you can see on the plan, there's existing fencing there, to your point, to the north and the east. But I wasn't clear 
remind me, does it run the full perimeter of the north and east or just part of the perimeter? It's a mixture okay. of, of fencing. Um, and yes, it does it does run the entire um, it's it's not entirely clear if the if the fencing it looks as though the mixture of fencing is kind of shared um, ownership of um, this property as well as a lot of those residential properties um, along the north and the, and the east, uh, but uh, there is fencing along that entire stretch. Okay. A mixture of opaque fencing as well as uh, chain link fencing. Yeah. Well, and the development itself is pretty interior to the site right. and shifted as far away from these residences as it can. And ultimately, the site plan is compliant with the zoning ordinance as it is. So um, I think the only question, does that answer your question? Yeah. One other question I had was just a reminder, because um, we discussed it last meeting. So with the changes to the landscaping plan, what was the issue or concern initially from staff's perspective with the original plan? Um, in regards to the internal parking lot right. landscaping? Um, yeah, so um, before at the previous, um, in the previous site plan, these areas um, were just, just showed pavement marking. Okay. Um, kind of to show a radius. Um, and instead, um, there's, there's some requirement or some provisions within the zoning ordinance that specifically call for parking lot landscaping to enhance um, the kind of movement of traffic, yeah. um, the kind of parking lot as a whole. Yeah. Um, and then uh, kind of the spirit of the landscaping is to include areas like this uh, for additional screening or just additional aesthetic reasons. Um, so that is why we requested that um, additional um, landscaping be included in, in the okay. parking lots, which they provided. Okay. Any other questions or this time? Okay, thank you. Any comments before I ask for a motion? All right, I move that we approve site plan number 427. With the? With the four contingencies, thank you for the reminder. I move we approve site plan number 427 with the four contingencies. I'll second. We have a motion for Commissioner Kohlinger and a second for Commissioner Broderick to recommend approval of, to approve site plan number 427 with the four contingencies listed in the packet. Will you please call roll? Griffiths? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Powell? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. Craig? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Decro? Yes. Passes seven to zero. <clears throat> that concludes old business on our agenda. We'll now move to any public comments unrelated to items on the agenda. Any public comments unrelated to items on the agenda? Seeing none, we'll move to new business. We have three pieces of new business this evening, uh, beginning with the 2023 annual report. Mr. Chair, um, this one's pretty straightforward. Uh, the Planning Enabling Act requires that the Planning Commission provide a report to City Council each year on your activities for the preceding year. Staff has prepared a annual report draft for your consideration this evening that outlines your activities from 2023 
I would say all in all a pretty average year, um, 25 total uh, cases considered by the Planning Commission, which was right on target as an average of the previous four years, um, kind of right in the middle. Um, and of course, a, despite that average case volume, a fairly intense year with preparations of the draft master plan. So um, you're all to be congratulated for your efforts uh, on both counts. Um, we have inventoried per typical practice the cases that were heard by the Planning Commission in the appendix of the report. Um, if this report's accepted by the Planning Commission this evening, it will be received by the City Council on January 22nd. Any questions or comments, commissioners? Would you like a vote from us accepting it? We do need a vote, yeah, approving. Uh, yes. Okay. Yep. I move we accept the 2023 annual report. I'll second. We have a motion and a second from, a motion from Commissioner Kohlinger and a second from Commissioner Broderick to accept the 2023 annual report. Would you please call vote? Griffiths? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Powell? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. Craig? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Decro? Yes. That passes seven to zero. Our next item of new business is an update on Midland City Modern. So these next two items, so we're gonna make your life easy tonight, no motion or action necessary. Um, the first is uh, we wanted to provide you with the public comments that were received during the 63 day public review and comment period. Um, you will recall that that public review and comment period is required under the Michigan Planning Enabling Act. So the Planning Enabling Act is having a big night tonight. Um, as part of that process, we do provide public notices to certain entities that are identified in the act. When you adopt a master plan, these same entities received a notice at the beginning of our planning process that we were intending to plan. And then they receive notice that the plan draft is prepared so that they may review and provide comment. Um, we didn't receive any comments from any of the notified entities during the 63-day re uh, review period, but we did receive a number of public comments. We've provided those to you uh, in their raw form um, attached here. These are, of course, just the written correspondences that were received during the review process. Uh, we've also inventoried other comments that were received through meetings um, or any verbal comments that were received during the process as well, and we'll bring those forward to you at a future meeting. Um, staff's intention tonight was just to provide these to you, make them public, and give you an opportunity to review them at your leisure. Um, at this point, I would anticipate at one of your meetings in February, we will come back with the remaining comments, staff recommendations for amendments, and a discussion on final direction from the Planning Commission so that the um, final draft of Midland City Modern can be prepared for public hearing. Any questions, commissioners? Okay, we'll look forward to um, staff's um, recommendation and discussion at a future meeting. Our last item of new business this evening on our agenda is the 2025 through 2030 capital improvement. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
So we're here tonight as we are each year, typically around this time of year, to introduce the draft uh, capital improvement plan for the city of Midland. Capital improvement plan, uh, again, a planning enabling act is just, this is planning enabling act might at the planning commission. So this is another uh, document that's required under the Michigan Planning Enabling Act and it, that, that Planning Enabling Act actually calls on the Planning Commission to help to drive this process. Um, a capital improvement plan or a CAP is a multi-year planning instrument that we use to identify what the city's capital needs are over a six year period and how we might potentially fund those needs. Um, this helps us to basically make sure that we have a sustainable infrastructure system in the community. Um, and this can also help us to implement our community master plan it's required under the Planning Enabling Act. We want to make sure that as we're using public funds on infrastructure that we're doing it in the best way possible. Uh, this plan helps to keep the public informed about what we're working on or plan to work on and helps to align our investments with priorities for growth and redevelopment around the community. Um, I would also say it's not highlighted here, but a really important function of this plan is to ensure that internally within the city organization that we're uh, working in coordination with each other so for instance, that if we've got water main replacement that's on the horizon, that we're not replacing a street in advance of that work, that we're doing that work in, in a coordinated manner so that we're able to use our funds uh, in the most effective way possible. Generally speaking, items that appear in this plan are gonna have to be over one of these thresholds. They're gonna be a $15,000 per item purchase uh, for capital. So uh, for instance, if I were to go and buy a new iPad, that would not appear in the plan, um, unless it was a really nice iPad. Um, that would be <laughs> under the $15,000 threshold. Um, but if the city were to buy 100 iPads, um, then, we, then we might be getting into that uh, range. $50,000 is the infrastructure asset cutoff, which if you can imagine bidding a project for infrastructure, it's pretty rare that we do an infrastructure project that has less than a $50,000 cost. So just about everything in that category is gonna appear in the plan. Funding sources for projects that are identified in the CIP are varied. Um, we've got special assessments paying for some. Um, the county road millage, which provides a great deal of our road construction funding. We have state funding um, that comes to us in a number of different ways, including our Act 51 road uh, transportation funding. We've got state revolving fund dollars that are helping to pay for some of the projects in the current plan. Enterprise funds, so these are things like our water fund or water reclamation fund where user fees are collected and they're spent uh, on those programs. Um, federal funding, including our community development block grant programs, and we've got some um, a fairly exceptional amount of federal funding right now in response to the 2020 flood and dam failure. And so that um, has had an influence on some of our capital programming. And then uh, grants and donations. So obviously we are all aware that uh, Midland's fortunate to have a very philanthropic community and a number of projects um, are either anticipated or already awarded uh, funding through grants and donations. So taking a look at the big picture for the totality of the city's six-year plan, we've got uh, just about $264 million in projects programmed over the six-year period, uh, approaching $70 million in projects anticipated in the upcoming fiscal year, which would begin on July 1 of 2024 and go through, I'm sorry, through June 30 of 2025. In terms of the process tonight, uh, we'll be walking through the plan together. This is the introduction. We will come back to you for public hearing on the 23rd and look for a recommendation on the plan to city council 
City Council will have this plan introduced to them on February the 5th, and they will consider adoption of the plan on February the 19th. So with that, any questions about the process or the document as a whole before we dive into the specific plan areas? All right, so we're gonna go alphabetically. We'll start with the airport. So Jack Barstow Airport, just looking at our year one in the plan, which is 2024-25. Uh, we've got about 336 $100,000 in projects here. Um, I will note, I think one that we talked about a little bit last year that would be um, worth bringing up again is the tree obstruction removal. And so there's certain navigation areas that are required around the approach uh, trajectories of the um, runways at the airport. And um, any obstructions, whether they be building signs or trees have to be removed from those areas for flight safety. Um, the city is on notice that there are issues in those areas around the airport. And so there's a uh, very extensive and expensive project that will need to take place to uh, remove those tree obstructions. Um, this $100,000 is just sort of a starting point They getting that project moving forward. Uh, but that is necessary in order to maintain the FAA licensing of the airport as we move forward. So you're going to certainly hear more about that project publicly over the next several years as that is um, implemented. Uh, but I just highlight that as an important project on this list. Otherwise, fairly um, normal uh, capital type projects proposed for the airport in the coming year. Moving to the Center City Authority. So this is the tax increment finance district that exists uh, primarily over um, the South Saginaw Road corridor from Ashman Circle to the north to Patrick Road to the south. Um, within that area, we will be beginning design work on phase two of the Saginaw Road Streetscape project. Phase one of that project um, took place uh, primarily last year and involved um, the portion of Saginaw Road running from Dartmouth Drive to the north to Patrick to the south. Phase two would be uh, the remainder of the Center City Saginaw Road corridor, which generally would be from Ashman Circle to the north down to Dartmouth. Um, so if you're familiar with the, um, the wider sidewalks, the landscaping and lighting that were installed as part of phase one, phase two would include much the same. Um, on that northern segment. In 24-25, engineering and design are expected to take place uh, with construction to follow in future years. This project does have funding for design and engineering coming out of surplus funds that were um, obtained through grants uh, for phase one. So this project has funding to move forward for design and engineering. Construction funding is still to be determined. And I should say the remainder of that six-year plan is primarily the balance, the $850,000, I'm sorry, the $8.5 million is related to uh, construction for phase two. Midland Civic Arena, so our ice arena and indoor um, playing surface facility. Um, you'll see if you look at the plan over the six year plan, we have a number of um, facility improvements identified. These are primarily uh, systems upgrades related to the operations uh, of either HVAC or refrigeration equipment. Uh, within the facility itself. Um, the facility is coming up on its uh, 20th anniversary in 2025, and so we're beginning to see that those um, regular uh, updates to HVAC and other equipment are gonna become more necessary as we move over the, the next probably 10 plus years. Dialer ride, we have no projects in the upcoming uh, fiscal year, year one of the plan. We do have uh, just over $1.2 million in the six-year plan, primarily in the form of bus and van replacements, those are done 
on a regular schedule in accordance with federal and state guidelines based on the age of the vehicles and their mileage. Um, as you might guess, uh, the cost of those vans and buses has gone up pretty significantly over the last couple of years. And, and these rates over the next six years primarily reflect those um, kind of inflated prices that we're seeing today. Yes. Um, with dial ride I know they've, um, I believe, included some more electric versions um, in their fleet. Um, do these replacements include additions to that? I know that was a separate grant, I believe. So I'm just curious if that's there was a separate or outside of it. <laughs> there was a separate grant, and we'll talk a little bit actually, two slides from now, a little bit about um, some of our uh, work on those electric vehicle issues. Um, so I might, if it's okay with you, I'll get to your question in just a moment. Yeah, and those, that increased the fleet size more than anything, right? And we're then replacing the buses that are there. Uh, those were replacements of existing vehicles, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, through that grant. Okay. Um, I think there's certainly a desire if our utilization of those vehicles is successful to continue rolling electric vehicles out in that fleet and perhaps other aspects of the city's equipment and fleet as well. So still a little bit of thunder over the next slide, but that's um, something that we're re actively reviewing as we uh, go through these first months of implementation. But nothing next year? Nothing next year. No. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So the Downtown Development Authority is another tax increment finance authority district of the city, um, primarily dealing with the downtown. Um, and we've got a big uh, list of projects here. Uh, in the first year, uh, I'm gonna highlight the downtown restroom project. This was another project that we talked a little bit about last year. Um, this is identified for fiscal year 2025, so this upcoming fiscal year. The DDA, Board has identified this in their strategic plan as a top priority. This is also something that came out as a top priority through our city modern uh, public engagement process. The intent with the downtown restroom is to build something similar to what's under construction currently at Grove Park, which would be a public restroom with changing places features. So this is basically a universal design or ADA compliant bathroom, but with uh, significantly more accessibility features than what are typically provided in the ADA bathroom to provide for more independence of use um, and a, a wider range of folks with disabilities who are able to use the facility. Um, we also have an on-the-shelf design that we can utilize, um, as well as kind of the lessons learned from that construction. Um, the Midland Downtown Business Association has recommended a location on McDonald Street, north of Main Street. So if you're familiar during the, the period the Commons is open, there's typically um, portable bathrooms present on that block. Um, during that period, they are recommending a, a creation of a permanent restroom at that location. Uh, the Downtown Development Authority is going to be reviewing location options this year before moving forward to design and construction. Our engineering department, uh, just a big picture overview before we dive in. This is obviously a major component of the capital plan. Uh, we do have six major street projects identified for the upcoming year, including one MDOT project. 10 local streets projects. We have a couple interagency projects. So again, the one MDOT major street project is a resurfacing of Isabella Street or M20. That project is from M30, so outside city limits to the west, um, to Curry Parkway. So basically from uh, where the last project left off with the bridge reconstruction at Curry Parkway moving to the western city limits. We also have a project that's funded through federal, uh, or through a uh, state grant, I believe, uh, provided by the Midland Area uh, 
transportation study, and that's a Swede Avenue reconstruction from East Ashman to Wheeler Street. So you may have observed if you're an East Sider like me, there's been some survey work taking place in that area. So buckle in, we're gonna have a little bit of disruption in the coming year, but a great uh, much needed project. Looking at general sense, so engineering, we have a general category that captures some of the non-street work projects. Um, of note here, I'll, I'll just note two things that are, that are new and changed. One, we have a specific line item for tree replacements in association with street construction projects. And so we found increasingly over the years that during uh, our roadway construction projects, especially our local street projects, that the tree impacts are, can be significant at times. Uh, many of our street trees, like our streets, are getting older and may be diseased uh, and may not uh, bounce back from disruption during construction. And so we've allocated funds to ensure that as we see those tree impacts that we're able to respond to them with tree replacements. The other change here over last year is our wayfinding signage maintenance. Uh, we've traditionally had about $20,000 budgeted here. Um, our wayfinding signage uh, on the community is again getting, uh, we're getting close to about the 20 year mark with much of that signage. And we're seeing that the maintenance needs are growing. And so in order to be responsive to those items and um, more proactive in addressing maintenance on those signs, we're recommending an increase on that line item as well um, as we move over the next six years, bumping that budget up. Um, so I did notice that those seem to be two additions um, from previous years. Where's the, um, is, has funding been allocated for it already? And if it has, where is it coming from? Um, it has not. Our funding allocations for these will be uh, decisions made during the city's budget process that follows the CAP. But these are definitely, these have been identified as needs and we'll go through the evaluation process to see if they're financially feasible. <clears throat> question when you were talking about the roads, I know it came out quite a bit in uh, previous meetings about uh, roads that needed to be better repaired. Um, what's the process for, I guess, identifying those? Is that just done through the like, traffic department? Or is it, what's the process, I guess, for the public to make note of areas that may be in disrepair that maybe not on the list? Sure. So uh, the public can make comment at any point to the engineering department if they've got any sort of infrastructure issue um, so that we can include it on a list. Obviously, there's a significantly long list. We track the condition of all of our infrastructure around the city. Um, Decision-making about uh, how we prioritize projects, a number of factors play into that. Um, coordination with other program projects is a big part of that decision-making. So if a water main under a street needs urgent replacement and a, the street condition above it might not necessarily warrant replacement of the street, but it's gonna have to get moved up because of that water main requiring replacement. Um, and, and kind of inverse, um, if we have a street that's in poor condition, um, if the water line's in good shape, but we have a similar condition street elsewhere where the water line is not in good shape, we might move, prioritize accordingly. Um, the availability of funding, so both in terms of the number of projects we take on, as well as if we have a special funding source, so if we're able to get a federal or state grant for a project, that might move it up or down a priority list um, accordingly. Um, we look at, we track what's called PASER ratings, so it's a, pave, a rating of the condition of the pavement. Every street is reviewed annually to determine a PASER rating, and that has a significant impact on how we prioritize our street projects. And then, um, believe it or not, there's also consideration of impact to the community. And so, for instance, we don't wanna shut down eight roads in one part of town one year and then move to another part of town. But the projects, we do try to spread them out geographically 
um, to minimize impact to the city overall. Yep. So running through our local streets, we've got uh, just about $47 million in projects over the six-year plan period. On the screen, you'll see the list of projects that are programmed for year one of the plan. Some of these projects were already beginning um, design work on um, in, in the background. I'll, I'll point out kind of uh, a couple interesting projects here. So Curry Parkway, uh, we do have some money budgeted to address the West Main Street Bridge approach. Um, most of you likely know that that bridge sustained some pretty significant damage from an oversized vehicle um, utilizing the bridge uh, two years ago and was just reopened um, in 2023 uh, following uh, some pretty significant repair work. Um, that is a one-way uh, traffic bridge, uh, one-way traffic eastbound, um, but we do have observed issues of people using the bridge westbound. Uh, we've implemented measures on the uh, eastbound approach to prohibit oversized vehicles from using the bridge so that we don't have future damage like we did two years ago. Uh, we don't have currently those same um, safeguards in place on the um, approach from West Main Street. And so we'll be looking to do something there um, to inhibit the bridge's improper use, both from a traffic direction standpoint, but also in terms of the type of vehicles that access the bridge, because um, it's just not built for those oversized vehicles. Um, the other project I'll highlight is we have the reconstruction of Stratford Woods Drive from East Ashman into the um, park. This will be a you know a fairly complicated project in terms of maintaining access to the park facility and obviously being a parkland and, and rather uh, wet uh, land that's uh, obviously a very expensive project uh, due to some of the complications associated with it. Major streets, we've got $53 million in projects programmed over the six-year plan period and approaching $10 million in the upcoming year. Um, so we've got some some pretty important projects. Um, Jefferson Avenue from Patrick Road to the South to the Circle is on this pro, uh, list. I mentioned the M20 resurfacing project, the city's share of that project. We are required to participate financially in that MDOT project. Um, so that is on this list. Reconstruction of St. Charles Street from Whitman to Benson, that's in association with the Poseyville Park project. And so that street project will follow completion of the park project there on the south side of the Titabawasi River. Um, I mentioned the Ashman, I'm sorry, the Swede Avenue project from Ashman to Wheeler, which was funded in partnership with Matt's. Um, otherwise, pretty pretty standard issue. We are dialing up some of our mill and overlay program funds here and surface treatment program funds uh, in order to uh, refocus our efforts as much as possible on maintenance as opposed to reconstruction um, so we can get a longer life out of our roads at a lower cost, um, so you'll see some of that here as well. Traffic services, so this is primarily our um, signs and signals function within engineering. Uh, not much to report here other than some equipment uh, replacement and a six-year plan of about $300,000. And water, engineering water projects are um, generally tied to a street project, so you'll see a lot of commonalities here in terms of identified street segments. Um, about $31 million in water projects here. These are funded through the water fund. So users of our water system paying their water bills are contributing to the capital funds that are paying for these this portion of the road projects associated. 
So I promised, and I forgot about all the engineering stuff in between as I thought about the ease, uh, talking about electric vehicles. Um, the city's fleet services are our equipment revolving fund. This is how we um, internally manage um, payment for vehicles and ensure that as vehicles reach the end of their useful life, there are funds available um, to facilitate their replacement. This is a huge um, section of the plan, mostly a kind of lower end in terms of individual price points uh, within the plan, but obviously as a whole, um, a pretty long list um, dealing with our city vehicles, about $20 million over the six year period. These are the vehicles that are programmed for replacement in the upcoming year. Again, all part of that equipment revolving fund process. So departments are paying in on these vehicles and they're programmed for replacement in accordance with their expected useful life. Um, so we got just shy of $4 million in uh, fleet replacements in the upcoming fiscal year. Within the earth, we have added $100,000 in fiscal years 26 and 27 for electric vehicle infrastructure. This is a placeholder in anticipation of potential expansion of our city electric vehicle fleet and primarily to provide the supportive infrastructure necessary to facilitate the use of electric equipment or vehicles. So things like charging and the power that's necessary to install those charging stations or charging infrastructure. And so we're actively evaluating our deployment of the electric buses and we'll be using that knowledge to help inform decisions about other electrification efforts within our fleet. So for now, we just have placeholder funds there. I would anticipate as we go into the capital planning over the next couple of years that we'll have more details on what that, what and where that infrastructure might be needed. Facilities management. So this is looking at kind of more of the, the city's buildings. We've got some projects programmed within the plan at the Municipal Service Center, which is where our DPW staff are located. Um, again, nothing uh, too significant in the upcoming year at $98,000. Fire department got about $1.5 million over the six-year plan. Um, in the upcoming year, we've got station alerting software. This is um, some improvements to the manner in which uh, fire department staff are notified of an emergency. So um, rather than having um, sirens and strobe lights waking folks up, uh, at the uh, adverse impact to the firefighters' health and wellness. Um, these alerting software systems allow for a, a healthier way of getting fire department staff activated when there's an emergency. So we do a funds program for each station, one, two, and three. Uh, we do also have replacement of the station three generator, $25,000. And then a project that emerged uh, just recently at station three on North Saginaw Road. This is some concrete repair. There was a pretty significant um, damage done to the floor of the, the equipment bay at that station. It's believed to be due to the weight of the uh, fire department apparatus. And so we've added funds here for repair um, of that engine bay at station three in the upcoming year as a, an emergency repair issue. Curry Golf Course, uh, about $1.2 million over the six year plan. We've got $300,000 programmed in the upcoming year for car path restorations and staging. Curry Golf Course is one part of the city that is typically um, very, uh, very much benefited by um, foundation funds to help support improvements there. Um, and so I anticipate that it'll probably be uh, informing some of that uh, with this project as well. The landfill, so I'm gonna, we've got $11 million in improvements here and I'm gonna highlight 
where a lot of that cost is coming from in the six-year plan, which is for a, a leachate pretreatment system. So for those who aren't familiar with leachate, this is basically what happens when rain falls on the landfill and the water percolates through the refuse. Um, the leachate is that um, runoff from the landfill. We anticipate um, the state of Michigan provides us with a permit for the operations of our water reclamation facility. That permit has been due for renewal for quite some time, and we've been anticipating that we'd be receiving that new permit. We expect that's gonna include limits on what's allowed to be contained within that leachate. Um, this past year in 2023, the city acquired a facility next to the city landfill um, from a private property owner uh, in anticipation of its reuse as a leachate pretreatment facility on site at the landfill. Um, what's new this year is in the current capital plan, uh, the adopted plan, we have a $3 million budget line item for leachate pretreatment. Um, based on the latest available information on what's anticipated for construction here, that estimates have been revised up to $7 million, so a little bit more than doubled. And so we wanted to highlight that here. Um, those funds are currently listed under fiscal year 26. We don't, again, know when that permit renewal will take place, um, but we do expect it'll be in the near term. So a pretty big ticket item at the landfill. Grace A. Dow Memorial Library uh, in 2425, we have a backup generator proposed at $600,000. Um, for those who aren't aware, um, some of the libraries uh, flooding issues in both 2017 and 2020 were as a result of power outages that caused pumps within the basement of the library to stop working uh, because of the lack of backup power generation. And so this project is identified as a need on the basis of preventing potential future flood impacts um, as a result of any power outages that might accompany severe weather and flooding. So um, that is one part of the six-year plan, which is at uh, $2.8 million. Mm -hmm. MCTV, uh, for uh, $400,000 six-year plan. We've got $35,000 identified for the upcoming year for a sports relay system related to their work in uh, local sports, uh, primarily high school sports here in Midland. Parks Department, uh, got about $170,000 in the upcoming year, $1.5 million over the six-year plan. Um, here, I will just highlight, uh, we do have a project here program for the Redcoats Complex, so our softball complex on the south side of the river to provide for accessible parking spaces um, there within that parking lot. And those are those parking lots are currently completely gravel. This will provide ADA-compliant paved parking um, at those spaces. Police Department. Uh, we have primarily projects related to the Law Enforcement Center. Um, the Law Enforcement Center is a facility that's jointly managed um, with uh, Midland County, uh, as it also um, is the home of the Midland County Sheriff's Office. Um, so those projects are um, primarily going to be reflecting split building costs, 65% city, 35% county. Um, so these are the counties portion uh, of the cost, not the full cost of the project, but we've got some boiler replacements, uh, security camera system, and then the one non-facility item here, which is reflecting 100% cost, 
is a new SWAT vehicle, uh, adding that to the fleet. Um, so this would ultimately end up in the earth, the equipment revolving fund over time to fund its replacement. But it being a new uh, acquisition, it would show up here and then go into the earth over this um, when it's due for replacement. Public works activities, so again, sort of like engineering in general, um, a broader category for uh, the public works department facilities. We don't have anything in the um, first year of the plan and we've got $375,000 out in 26-27 for some minor projects um, at the Municipal Services Center. Senior housing, um, so senior housing is another uh, area of the plan where we're fortunate to have a good amount of outside funding assistance to facilitate projects. Uh, 24-25, we have a Berman parking lot project that's actually, uh, I wanna clarify, funded through our Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Funds um, at a million dollars. This will help to protect that rear parking lot as well as to provide some enhanced protection to the lower level of the facility, uh, which as you know, Riverside is implicit in the name, is located adjacent to the Tittawasi River and suffered pretty extensive damage during the 2020 flood and dam failure. Um, at Washington Woods, looking at intercom replacements, 214 units at $250,000. Stormwater plan. So again, uh, got some projects to highlight here. I'm gonna provide at the end an update on concept five, um, just to walk you through this. Is, it's obviously a significant capital project that is already underway and continues to be ongoing here in the community. Um, but while we're here at the stormwater line, I wanna highlight a new project, which is uh, at Barstow Woods Park. So this is kind of roughly between Manor Drive, North Saginaw Road and um, West St. Andrews Road. Um, this is a million dollar project to replace an existing 27 inch underground stormwater pipe that has failed in multiple locations in the park. Um, at the request of the Parks Department, that uh, that project was identified and they're requesting that it be replaced with an open channel uh, conveyance system through the park. Um, so this is new to the plan and is proposed in year one uh, due to the emergent nature of the project. The water plant and water distribution, pretty much uh, business as usual, 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 oh, that was, I mean, trouble with that word tonight, uh, in terms of equipment replacements within the plant. Um, about $10.5 million over the six years of the plan. Again, an enterprise-funded part of the capital plan. So these are things that are identified and budgeted through there um, as they determine water fees. They look at capital needs and those are budgeted accordingly. Water reclamation, we've got almost $20 million in projects in the upcoming year. Six-year plan at $35 million kind of going through some of the details on that. Again, a lot of that uh, cost is related to the Concept 5 project. We've got um, like about $18.5 million in the upcoming fiscal year, the vast majority of that being Concept 5 projects. And just to kind of walk through some of the, so one non-Concept 5 project to walk through real quick is a proposed expansion of their administrative building. So this is the water reclamation facility on Bay City Road. Facility was built back in 1962 and last uh, had a major update in 1990. Uh, Water Reclamation is proposing a 2,250 square foot addition that would provide additional offices and training rooms. Right now, uh, due to expansion of the staffing there, uh, staff occupy the conference rooms. So there's not currently anywhere for 
any meetings or trainings to take place. Um, the image on the screen, that blue square sort of roughly identifies the area in front of the facility where that 2,250 square foot addition would be placed. Um, I highlight this uh, both because this is a next a project proposed for next year, but also because it's the first of what will likely be many facility related projects around the city that are proposed to respond to either new regulatory requirements imposed on the city, changes in staffing or um, needs of the city. And so we're seeing an increased um, number of these type of requests through our capital project process. And so we'll be seeing similar things as we move forward in the future. We'll highlight those as we go. Um, but this is kind of the leading edge of that uh, wave of facility updates. Semi-related to concept five, we have a proposed addition as well of $3.7 million project on Saginaw Road, which would upsize an existing sanitary sewer pipe um, and also help to redirect the Stone Ridge pump station. So Marlin District has been a big focus of concept five work um, because it's an area that was heavily impacted during the 2020 flood and dam failure. Um, there's, there were capacity issues in those locations that are being addressed through the Concept 5 work. Here on North Saginaw Road, we have kind of an interesting situation where we have um, a 10 to 12 inch sanitary line running here along the north side of the road that's significantly smaller than the lines to its east or west along North Saginaw Road. And so this would increase the capacity, increase the size of that line so it's comparable to the lines to its east and west, which are 18 and 21 inches respectively. Uh, providing an appropriate amount of capacity through that system. And then again, providing for that rewriting of the Stone Ridge pump station down Dublin Avenue um, so that it's no longer flowing into the Moreland District. Concept five, there's been a significant amount of progress in this project over the past year, and there's still a lot of work to go. And so these are different components of the Concept five projects. Just gonna run real briefly through each of them to provide you with a status update. So the first is this cure in place pipelining program. So if you've been around town and seen a truck parked in the middle of the road and a bunch of steam coming out of the manhole, or if you're like me and you looked out your window one day and thought a building was on fire, and then you, you squinted and you saw, no, there's a truck there in the street. Um, this has been a pretty visible part of the project and been taking place all over Midland. Uh, the project started last winter uh, it involves 909 manhole rehabilitations and 507 of those are currently completed. 19 miles of sanitary sewer pipe that are being lined. Uh, that project, part of the project is almost complete. In its entirety at 17.8 miles are done. This was expected to take us through June of 2027 to completion and we're now expecting by this summer it will be done. Um, you can see um, very loosely uh, progress um, as I said, this has been taking place all over town. And so the vast majority of these are um, complete um, throughout the city. These were identified, uh, studied, and identified as places that you know would benefit from lining or manhole rehabilitation. So uh, pretty impactful work uh, throughout the city. The parent Sugnant uh, upsizing project started this past spring. It's a one and a half mile sanitary sewer upsizing project, taking an 18 and 21 inch line to a 30 inch line on Perrin and a 21 inch line to a 36 inch line on Main and Sugnet. This was anticipated to be complete this coming June and it was completed last fall. This is the project limits. So again, running Perrin down to North Saginaw, over to West Main, 
West Main down to Sugnet, and then Sugnet over towards uh, my Michigan Health. Um, so pretty significant project. Those streets, if you've been over there, are all reconstructed with the exception of that segment of North Saginaw um, as well for part of this project. So a nice side benefit to this work, um, but a significant improvement in capacity in these areas. Sylvan offline storage, this started again last winter. This is a, a 1 million gallon offline sanitary storage facility. So basically an opportunity for our sanitary storage, sanitary sewer system to divert sanitary sewage out of the pipes and provide a kind of intermediate storage location within the city before that is released back into the sanitary pipe system to make its way to the water reclamation facility. So some places where we had some um, capacity challenges, this offline storage in um, heavy rain events will provide us with an alternative place for that sanitary sewer to be stored. Um, this was scheduled to be completed in November they're still completing some minor punch list items on this project. Um, this is within Russell Park. So on Sylvan Drive, just this would be, uh, I wanna say south and west of Jefferson Middle School, if I have my geography right, I hope I do. Um, but this is within a city park. So you'll see the storage pipes are actually buried underground. Um, the impact visually to the park, this is uh, post construction, pre grass obviously growing, um, but you'll see that the Pipes are all basically invisible, and this will provide an important uh, kind of fail-safe to our systems during those heavy rain events. And then we have our footing drain disconnect program, which I think is probably the portion of Concept 5 that's attracted the most public attention. Um, that program has been focused on two districts within the city, so we'll start with the Whitewood District. These are the neighborhood generally uh, to the west of Waldo Avenue, to the south of Wheeler Street, um, and to the north of Chestnut Hill Elementary School, just to give you kind of your, your bearings. Um, this was originally conceived as a multi-phase project, uh, but the work, uh, the public side of this project has been completed in its entirety in one year. So again, we were fortunate with weather and contractors being able to get this project complete um, significantly ahead of schedule. So. In addition to the sanitary, uh, sorry, the storm sewer lateral work that was um, done underground, these streets have all been resurfaced as well where they were disrupted by um, that construction. And the Moreland District is our other uh, priority area for footing drain disconnects. This is on the west side of Midland, so generally south of US 10 uh, along the Moreland Drive area. This is a multi-phase project, this is still adhering to the original phasing, which will take us into 2024 and 2025 to complete the public portions of the project. Um, I should back up. So the footing drain disconnect program, if you're not aware, this is basically a program that's extending sanitary sewer leads, I'm sorry, extending storm sewer leads to private properties where they're putting drains. So basically what's collecting water, groundwater around the foundations of the homes or being pumped out by a sump pump. Um, allowing for those to be disconnected from the sanitary sewer system where they're currently connected to the sanitary sewer and to be properly connected to the storm sewer system. So at one point in time, uh, and up until the very late 1980s, it was possible to connect those hooding drains into the sanitary sewer. That's no longer legal. Those, those drains do need to be connected to the storm sewer. And so this project's helping to put the public infrastructure in place to facilitate those connections 
The next part of the project is the private side, so providing a connection from the public lead to the footing drains themselves. Um, this did require that these homes have an inspection to participate in the program. There was a 90-day window that closed at the end of 2023. Um, the vast majority of the homes in phase one of this project have had their inspections completed, so a very high level of participation in the inspection component. This is a voluntary participation program, so uh, we don't necessarily anticipate that everyone that had their home inspected will participate in the disconnection, but this is a, nevertheless a positive sign that we do have a high level of participation in the first step of that. And the last project is Sylvan Lane Upsizing. This is scheduled to uh, start this spring and be completed this fall, um, and that's kind of the last major public infrastructure project associated with Concept 5. So with that, with what little voice I have, I'll ask if there are any questions. Questions, commissioners? I think the only question I have is, and I think we ask it almost every year, um, is exactly what role does the planning commission play, um, particularly as it relates to city council as well? Sure, so I think one uh, major role uh, that you play, going back to the purpose of the capital improvement plan, is to make sure that the city's investments are aligned with our long-term priorities and that you can look at the city's master plan as one place to see if those priorities uh, might lie. And as you also look at the growth and development intents of the community that are generally also articulated in the master plan, are we investing money in the, in the right parts of the community where we're seeking new investment or reinvestment? Um, obviously, with an expanded plan, um, we would also look to the Parks and Recreation Master Plan that helps to drive the Parks Department's decisions about investments. Um, but the Master Plan is not going to speak to the fleet directly. Um, I do think that the inclusion of funds for electric vehicle infrastructure is an important nod to some of the things we heard through the Midland City Modern process um, about the community's interest in sustainable operations and also being friendly to electric vehicles. So I think that's an important nod. But um, that would be one key way the planning commission can help. I think as individual planning commissioners, you're representatives of the community, your residents. Um, so if you have observations about infrastructure needs, it's also an appropriate time for you to highlight if you feel like something's not included in the plan or something's been included in the plan that shouldn't be prioritized, this would be an appropriate venue to have that conversation. I have a couple questions. Is the amount of allocated funds for storms and um, storm and sewer things normal or is that due to a lot of the amount of flooding that we've had and backup that we've had? So that's a great question. So we, we have a um, significantly more investment in those areas in um, the current fiscal year that we're in uh, in the next few fiscal years as a result of that Concept 5 project. So the state, I'm sorry, the city obtained um, funding through the state to help to facilitate that program um, in the form of loans. And so um, we also have our community development block grant funding. Uh, we already have $5.7 million um, that we received uh, for flood response activities. And we've applied, um, there's another $57 million in um, development block grant funding available competitively for flood response activities that hasn't been awarded yet, but we do have some of those projects identified in the plan that we would anticipate using those funds for if awarded. Um, so 
long way of saying yes. There's a lot more funding in those areas right now, and that's largely because of the 2017 flood. So the 2017 flood launched a significant amount of analysis of the city's infrastructure, any potential deficiencies, any things that we could do to minimize future risk to the community. It was just unfortunate that we suffered a significant flood event three years later before we were able to complete our work on implementation. But a lot of these projects were already under study or planning or design before 2020 happened and now we're in implementation. I have two more questions. If there, um, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, but uh, like a water stop system like outside of the house or like a- Backflow preventer? Thank you. Um, and those are typically on the homeowner and not part of the city, but does that play effect into the, the, the city system of stormwater and sewer? A negative or positive? Um, not necessarily. The, the footing drain disconnect program is really targeted at reducing sanitary sewer backups in homes um, that were occurring because of the, well, we, when we looked at the system during heavy rains, the amount of inflow into the sanitary sewer was going way up. So you expect sanitary flows to go way up during halftime of the national championship game last night <laughs> when everyone's running to the bathroom. Um, you don't expect them to go up because it rains, because rainwater shouldn't be in that system. And so that was causing a number of issues for private property owners that the footing drain disconnect program is intended to address by diverting that water into the appropriate system and preventing systems that are otherwise have adequate capacity from not performing as designed. So if every single house on the street had a backflow preventer, it would still be necessary to do these projects? Um, yes, because a backflow preventer wouldn't prevent the storm, the discharge of the storm water into the sanitary system. Okay. It would only prevent, it would, a backflow preventer is meant to prevent water from backing from the public system into the private home system. Right. It does nothing to prevent the flow of water um, into the public system. Okay. And then I feel like there's quite a bit of concentration in the master plan regarding um, walkability and like sidewalk protection from streets or from cars, things like that. And I don't know that I really saw any line items for that. Did I? We have a, uh, we do have line items for non-motorized transportation and sidewalk improvement in the plan. Um, I would say that planning department has a note for the next capital plan. I would anticipate by that point, our master plan will be an adopted policy document of the city to review that document in its enti entirety and see what items need to be added to the six-year plan next year um, upon adoption of the plan. Uh, but at this point, we felt given that the plan hasn't even gone through public hearing, let alone been adopted, that it was probably premature to make any significant changes on the basis of the draft plan at this time. So is the, the funds allocated on this, is that 100% of the funds or is there still funds available? Not sure if I understand the question. Or maybe there isn't a cap. It depends on the type of project. Um, basically everything in the capital plan, every, every category, you're gonna have projects that have different funding sources. And you're also you may have projects that have multiple funding sources. So it's, it'd be unusual for any particular area of the plan to be, so like for instance, major streets. 
the major streets are funded with uh, county millage funds, county road millage. They're funded with Act 51 dollars, which is our state of returns um, from the gas tax. They're sometimes funded through federal grants or state of Michigan grants. And so um, there's, it'd be hard to answer that question. Okay. The capital plan is really more about needs mm -hmm. and the budget like feasibility of projects is something that for year one and maybe year two is determined through the budget process. Years three through six, there's generally less certainty about funding, mm -hmm. um, depending again on the line. Like if we're talking major streets, we probably anticipate most of those are gonna be funded through the traditional sources. And we might have a general idea of what those revenues are expected to be. Um, but a project like a non-motorized project might depend on a federal grant, a state grant, a foundation grant, and some mixture of road funding. Um, and there wouldn't be a hard and fast cap on those. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think that's the, if I'm understanding you correctly, that's the CIP is another tool, um, one that can help us implement the master plan. And it's somewhat similar to the master plan, if I'm understanding it correctly, in that um, it helps basically guide what we see as needs. So the master plan helps us with things like uses and um, goals and objectives around um, transportation and land use and things of that nature. This is similar to that, but it's related to infrastructure, correct? So Absolutely. It's, it's not about a funding making, document. It's a here's what we think needs to be done to support the master plan and other things in the city over the next six years, correct? Yep. It's meant to help us make smart investment decisions, smart budgeting decisions. So even if we're talking about a project that's six years out, if we know it's it's better to know it's coming so that we're not surprised that, oh, next year we got to spend a million dollars on replacing a roof at a facility. If we can have that identified and be budgeting appropriately so that when the time comes for that replacement to take place, we ideally have... The fu a funding plan and the funds in place to, to make that project happen. It also can help us make trade-offs where we may not have enough funding to do all the needs or needs and wants. Because um, obviously sometimes projects are a little bit of both. Um, and so if we have to make trade-offs, this plan can help us to do that kind of in some advanced planning to say, look, we're not gonna be able to fund that or we're not gonna be able to fund all of the, those things uh, maybe there are different ways we can approach a project. So maybe we can't do the full version of what we hope to do, but maybe there's an alternative we can consider. Um, so it's really a planning instrument and not a budget instrument. It's a tool to help us build our budget as we move into the budget process, which happens concurrently behind the scenes. Staff's working on draft budgets. A lot of this information will be getting plugged into those proposed budget documents over the next month as we move into the public part of the budget process that follows the CIP. So it's given the public an opportunity to weigh in on those capital investments. And ideally that, that, influ that input will help to influence the budget process that follows. In that vein too, I think that was the most impressive thing is I know we can't, the current master plan is not policy, um, but even putting that to one side, to your point about already planning ahead, seeing things like the tree canopy being in there electric vehicles being in there and wayfinding signage already being added um, was the things that jumped out to me and was really encouraged um, to your original ask of what do we see in here in the community um, those were things we have seen in the master plan and it's encouraging to see that we're already being proactive on those fronts as well yeah one well, i would say planning department doesn't get any credit you'll notice there's no planning section of the capital plan <laughs> so we put the plan together but we rarely if ever have capital needs unless we find that fifteen thousand dollar ipad i guess <laughs> so 
for us, you know, we're, we want to make sure that we can help to facilitate these conversations. We've been real active in encouraging participation by the departments of the city in the master planning process. And I will say they have heard what we have heard through the public process. And so there's no, there's no question that that public input has helped to influence staff's thinking about their capital programming. We've also been working very aggressively at expanding this plan. So making sure that things aren't um, unreported. So some of the things that we've heard over the last two years are, you know, well, I need to do this. We really need this, but we don't have the money. So, or we didn't put it in the plan. And we really want to capture needs in their entirety, um, both from a making those trade-offs uh, perspective, but also because if there's grant funding available, we have a grants coordinator at the city, a relatively new position. Um, yeah, it helps her to know what our needs are so she can look for grant opportunities. It also helps us to make the case to a potential grant funder that this is a priority, this is needed, we've identified it. Yeah. Um, it's not a good look when we apply for a grant if we say we've got this hundreds of millions of dollars of needs identified, but this project we're asking for money for isn't in here. Yeah. Um, so, so it's important for those things to be recorded here for that reason as well. Is there, can you comment on like the differential from like the previous year? Like is this a, on par with previous years of like plan or is it like a bigger spend, lesser spend? Very difficult question to answer because this is only the second year that we've had a plan that included the entirety of the city's capital program. Um, our current year adopted plan is the first one that included things beyond our streets, water, um, landfill. There's a very limited palette. Now our streets budgets about about half of this capital plan is streets projects. Um, those funding, um, the number of projects proposed and the cost of those projects is on par with past years um, by and large. Um, the, the plan scope has expanded dramatically. So the overall cost of the plan in the last two years is significantly higher than it was in the past. Doesn't mean that the city didn't have capital needs this high before, we just weren't capturing them in the plan. But we're not seeing like a we need to spend three times the amount on streets as last year or, you know, not seeing a big jump in possible spending. Not currently. We uh, are working on a pavement management plan that uh, with, uh, through MDOT that will help us to, I think, as again, as we move into next year, this is year two of an expanded capital plan. And so year one, we were just excited to have more included um, from the planning department's perspective. Year two, I think we've done a better job of pulling projects out of the departments and making sure that the appropriate projects are included in this plan. Um, as we move forward, we're looking to be more strategic about some of those decisions on like roadway project funding to make sure that we're spending all the funds that we should spend every year and that we're spending them in the right way with the idea with roads as an example. And this is true of a lot of infrastructure if you can do basic maintenance at the appropriate time, you can extend the life of the infrastructure dramatically and you can get, you know, basically, if you think about it like your car, if you're gonna keep your car for 15 years, it makes sense to get your oil changed regularly and get your tires rotated and do the, the basics. It's gonna be money well spent because it's gonna enable you to keep that car for a long time. Roads, pipes, facilities are all the same uh, in, in that sense and so, trying to refocus more of our dollars on things like mill and resurface, where we can improve the surface of a road without having to get into the base material. Um, we can extend the lifespan of that road sometimes 
you know, by 50%, as opposed to letting it deteriorate for another 10 years, the, the residents, the community has to deal with a street that's in worse condition for that time, but we also find ourselves in a position where we can no longer mill and overlay successfully, we have to reconstruct. And reconstruct's gonna cost many times what the mill and overlay did. So being more strategic about getting ahead of things, that's gonna take some time to refocus those efforts, um, but that's something we'll be, I think you'll see some continued adjustments in the approach to street projects over the next several years as we implement uh, a plan designed to accomplish just that. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, I guess I could, if I could give a piece of advice on the plan is to show that differential over last year to see, hey, this is a higher cost over last year versus this year. Okay, from department to, from area to area? Yeah. Okay. To see, you know, to see if we maybe we capture, hey, we're spending more and more on roads, why? If we can see, hey, the last three years we spent 10% more this year and then 10% more to see, are we missing something or is there just, are we growing in that area? Yeah, well, and I will also say, are we spending more on roads? Yes, are we spending more on vehicles? Yes, are we spending more on facilities improvements? Yes, because the cost of everything has gone yeah. up dramatically in the last two years. So we've got projects in this plan that may have been estimated five or 10 years ago at 40 to 50% the cost that's in the current plan. But that is the cost of doing those projects today. So. I would ask uh, the rest of the commission too. It's an interesting suggestion about whether or not the commissioners agree that that would be a useful addition. I think it provides some level of context to where we've been. I mean, it's got to obviously make sense, but is it incremental change or is there a strategic shift because we're trying to do something unique or different? Um, I think it's got to be apples to apples, obviously. I know you mentioned that that's been shifted recently, um, but once we have some, some stable data to, to look in the rearview mirror to see how it compares, I think that's, uh, we're looking forward and kind of saying, okay, that makes sense, but I don't know where that compares to the past, except memory. An alternative might be to, I think there's more of a summary section at the beginning. So I think because you're looking for context, if I understand you correctly, David. Um, so that might be something to include simply in the beginning, which is just overall over six years, you know, the plan currently is this amount. It was amount this amount previously. I think you've already done some of this. Is like you just note some of the things that are driving the increase in cost. Um, doing that up front um, could be a good way of, Engaging the public too, because they're not going to go through and look at. I don't think they'll go through. Um, I wouldn't go through and look at you know table uh, Z to see if the incremental increase is being driven there. But I would look at an executive summary and be curious to know, like, hey, it's two percent higher than it was last year. It's likely because you know the city's prioritizing X, Y, and Z this year as opposed to previous years. Yeah, and I will say too, this is not an operating budget, right. so. Year to year, there is going to be dramatic variation in certain areas, and that's not because we've suddenly discovered new needs. I mean, if you just look at each individual area over the six-year period, there's on many of them dramatic variations. There's certainly, like, again, streets, there tends to be consistency. We've got certain expectations on funding that we expect every year, and so we're able to do that amount of projects every year, so our capital budget reflects that. Um, as you look at things like the landfill, you know, a $7 million leachate treatment facility is not as an extraordinary expense. That's why I highlighted it tonight. That has a major impact on the capital budget for the landfill. That won't likely be replicated anytime in the near future. That's gonna be very much a one-off situation. Um, so that's, 
that's part of staff's rationale for highlighting certain projects because they're sort of those variance drivers. Concept five is a huge variance driver. If you look at the plan, years where concept five is taking place the next two in the in a current year, those years we've got significant more capital expense than we do in the remaining years of the plan. And that's almost entirely driven by concept five. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in our packet, it was the, you saw the five different years and what you had up mm -hmm. here was different, right? Yeah, the, the plan includes six full years. We highlight year one here in the presentation. That's the upcoming year. Yeah. Um, that's the year that we're most concerned about budget feasibility on projects. I and that's like really to highlight for the community what to expect construction-wise over the coming year. Um, I feel like personally seeing the six-year versus just the one-year kind of answers some of those questions. Yeah, I read that. Me. Like I said, my biggest thing is looking at previous, are we just accounting for some inflation or do we have a strategic initiative? I guess like something like concept five is an initiative, not just, you know, we're, we're making some capital improvements that are adjusted maybe for inflation, but that like when you, as we're getting into master planning and, and implementing that policy, you, you're going to see certain things change and just being able to quickly see that. Sure. I think the risk though, is that we don't want this to be perceived as a budget Budget's document. Yeah. We don't want people to be led to believe that we are going to spend $256 million on these exact projects over the next six years. We're not even going to necessarily spend exactly the amount in year one um, total. I mean, we'll get probably close to that number, but that's not the stone either. That would be my concern is that you start talking about percentage increases, people start thinking that these are actual hard budgets that are actually have been allocated at this point. And um, not just needs. Which to me would be a, a risk. I think there's a way for us to address that as we move into the next year's plan. So I'll make a note as we address kind of analysis of where we've been and major projects on the horizon. I don't think it'll hurt to, to add to our narrative section. Sure. That's not, that has not been our main focus in the last two years of um, plan changes because we have expanded the scope so significantly. That's really been where we've had our focus. Um, but those narrative sections, there's an opportunity there to make some adjustments. So. And I think that to me, that's the opportunities in that narrative section of just talking more broadly about like, hey, you know, we, we're seeing the community needs more of X, but fortunately, we're now actually seeing the community doesn't need as much of Y. Um, and even some of the things we saw in the presentation that I'm not sure were in the narrative about um, a lot of concept five being done ahead of schedule. Like that's, that's huge. Um, uh, and could be a part of that narrative section and try to accomplish some of the same. Yeah, or even on like the, the breakdown of the years, like even a color code of like this is something new this year and this is something that's falling off could be something that simple. <laughs> I, do you need a motion for it? Not tonight. So tonight's just introduction of the plan, opportunity for questions or comments. Uh, we have adverts we will have already advertised the public hearing for your next meeting on the 23rd. And so you'll have an opportunity to get public comment. And then at that meeting, we'll ask for final comments, any changes you want to see, and then a referral of this plan to city council. And if this was the, this is the second year of this report? In this format, the yes. Okay. So well, was there a previous forecasting document for? Before last year? Yes. So the plan before last year just included, so um, let me see if I have my list. So 
Before 2020, uh, before last year's plan, the plan only included major streets, local streets, traffic services, stormwater, water distribution and water plant, water reclamation, landfill, and engineering in general. So we added last year the airport, Center City Authority, Civic Arena, Dial-A-Ride, the DDA, the Equipment Revolving Fund, Facilities Management, Fire, Golf Course, Information Services, Library, MCTV, Parks, Police, Public Works Activities, and Senior Housing. None of those were in the previous capital plans. And so all of that got added last year and is in the plan again this year. And those entities were just in the budgeting process as request? Yes. So they weren't capital captured in the capital plan. So that was one of the things um, when I started that we kind of flagged as a priority to change and we were able to get, um, I, will, I will give some kudos to our staff at the city that when we, last year our intent was to look at expansion on a trial basis of the plan. So who might want to jump in and be um, added to the plan. And every single department that was unrepresented in the plan previously said, yes, please put me in the plan. I wanna be part of this process, which kind of astounded me. Usually at least one person says, well, keep, keep me out of it. Everybody was excited about it because they saw the benefit of advanced planning, identifying what their needs were, having more conversations about the budgeting process, being able to show a grant funder that you've identified a program of what your needs are. Even if it's just, you want, you're asking for this, but you can tell them like, hey, we have a plan for everything. We're not just picking and choosing projects. We know what our six year needs are. It, it is impactful to people. And so we were able to get everybody bought in. Of course, then it's be careful what you ask for. Then we went, oh no, now we gotta put everybody in the plan. It was a lot of work. Um, but we made it work. This year was much easier um, because we sort of had that framework in place. And so again, next year, um, I think we, we this, our ambitions for this plan exceed what's before you tonight, um, but we're taking incremental approach to building the plan into what we'd like it to be. Really good. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, that concludes new business this evening. We'll move on to the remainder of our agenda. Next item is communications. Um, I don't see any in front of us. I don't believe we received any over email since our last meeting. That's correct. Uh, report of the chairperson, I have none. So we'll come back to you, Jacob, for report of the plan director. Thank you. Uh, only thing I will share is the uh, next meeting, our only business item is that capital improvement plan public hearing and your ultimate recommendation to council on the plan. So it should be a relatively short meeting as those go. Um, but please do attend, <laughs> an important meeting. Um, that, that's all we've got at this time. Okay, I'm looking for a final motion. And we adjourn. I right, second. I have a motion and a second, we adjourn. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. We are adjourned. <laughs> Sorry.
This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website cityofmidlandmi.gov slash mctv. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.